Uh, we'll just do a sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning? For breakfast, I had a cup of coffee with two shots and heavy cream and actually a, an Americano with two shots of coffee and heavy cream. And I had a smoothie with apple and yogurt and some shit in it. <laughs> well, we, we will talk more about the shit part. Um, that, that's that's going to be re- re- very relevant. <laughs> At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is the appropriate time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the 4-Hour Body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. Athleticgreens.com slash TFS. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, my little kittens. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where I attempt in each interview to deconstruct world-class performers, to tease out the things you can use, not just act with integrity, but what does that actually mean on a daily basis? What are your morning routines? What are your habits? What are your favorite books? What are your influences? What are your favorite documentaries? So on and so forth. I really want specific tactics that you guys can apply, toolkits that you can use in your daily life and lives. That's a plural for you guys. And this episode is no exception. I'm very excited to have 
Sophia Amoruso, that's at Sophia underscore Amoruso, on the show. She is founder and executive chairman of Nasty Gal, which is a global online destination for both new and vintage clothing, shoes, and accessories, among many other things. Founded in 2006, Nasty Gal was named fastest growing retailer in 2012 by Inc. Magazine, thanks, I suppose, in part to its 11,200% three-year growth rate. It's a very big number. Sophia has been called, quote, fashion's new phenom end quote, by Forbes magazine, and she has become one of the most prominent and iconic figures in retail. She recently founded hashtag Girlboss Foundation, which awards financial grants to women in the worlds of design, fashion, and music. Sophia's first book, hashtag Girlboss, check it out, is a New York Times bestseller published in 15 countries. And we touch upon many, many things. We talk about tactics, testing, the genesis story of Nasty Gal, early successes, early mistakes. Uh, the last time she accidentally crapped in her pants, <laughs> we really go all over the place. And there is a lot of personality in this episode. Uh, there's a lot of fun, and there's also a lot that you can use. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Sophia Amoruso. Sophia, welcome to the show. Hi Tim, how are you? I am I'm fantastic. And uh we've had such an adventure putting this together and, I know. Get, and getting all the tech to work. But I'm stoked to be chatting with you. I've wanted to have a uh, a jam session with you for so long and I know we've met very briefly before. But uh let's let's start with some basics for people who may not be familiar with you. And and I know your role has changed in the last uh, year or so, but when people ask you, what do you do? How do you answer that now? And how did you answer that two years ago? If I don't know them, I just say like, I have an online fashion business and I try to leave it at that. And if they ask, <laughs> it depends on who it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I started a company called Nasty Gal in 2006 as an eBay store selling vintage clothing and you know, whatever. Like all, a lot of entrepreneurs just did everything myself, did what needed to happen, just ran a little eBay store, but it, it wasn't little for very long. Um, left eBay about a year and a half later and launched nastygal.com, which is now kind of a full-on fashion e-commerce uh, destination. We carry brands, we design our own product, and we still sell vintage Um and I guess I'm an author, so there's that too. I wrote a book uh, last year that spent a bunch of time on the on the bestseller list, and it was called Girl Boss. It's called hashtag Girl Boss, but saying hashtag out loud is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> and to to so I mean you're a multi hyphenate. You've done a lot to to put some numbers or stats to it. Uh, and I'm reading off of, of uh, just the reading that I've done. So I'd love for feel free to correct me, but it sounds like company has customers in more than 60 countries. It was the fastest growing retailer in 2012, according to Inc. Magazine. Um, and I guess at one point, at least, it sounds like, and again, I'm, I'm reading from online, so who knows how verified this is. But uh, I guess in 2011, when it, so it was started in 2006. And by 2011, revenue is like 24 million or so, marking, I guess, an 11,000 plus three-year growth rate. So very impressive yeah. stuff. Uh, Thanks. Very impressive. Uh, and the, uh, I have to, 
I cannot resist asking about some of these bullets before we get into that whole story. I, uh-huh. I apologize in advance. So for, for those who are wondering how this podcast gets put together, uh, I usually like to pr- not, not rehearse, but send some, uh, prompts for guests who are on the show. So one of the sentences that I send out is, can you please send some bullets with a handful of topics and or questions that will lead to actionable tips, advice, comma, funny stories, comma, or resource and how-to recommendations. So funny stories. The first... The I, just fir- went straight, <laughs> I just went straight for funny stories. Oh, no, it was awesome. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to read the first five, and then oh, we're going to no. dig into one. So bullet number one, I once pooped my pants in high school. We're going to come back to that. Number two, I have three poodles that are all related. Number three, and I'm paraphrasing here, I lived on a street called, called Orange Blossom twice in different parts of California. I love karaoke, and the then the the last bullet I'll read is I'm a big supporter of reality TV because it's cheaper and healthier than weed or alcohol. So, <laughs> so people love the embarrassing stories. I woke up this morning for the first time. I just adopted a rescue puppy about six weeks ago. She's five months old. Oh, cool. I woke up. And she's never pooped in the house and woke up and she, <laughs> she's being crate trained and looking at the crate, it looked like someone had taken a handful of mud and thrown it into a Cuisinart. She somehow managed to diarrhea in every direction, including on the top of the cage. I don't know how this is possible. Oh my God. Inside the crate. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're like a Cirque du Soleil athlete who's had whatever, uh, too much to drink, but in any case, so this is on the mind. Obviously, it's all cleaned up. She's fine. She's chilling. Molly's good. But tell me about this this high school incident. I uh, I <laughs> I have to I have to ask since it was yeah. sent over. Oh my god! Well, um, I was at this guy's house. I was like 16 years old. I was at this guy's house who was like this amazing bassist. He played this thing called a war guitar, which is bass. It's like a it's like a bass with I don't know a ton of strings on it and you it's you basically just play the fretboard and he was just like this weird like proggy musician who I thought was super cool um and he was like I don't know maybe he was like 19 I thought that was amazing (laughs) and um I went to his house he like lived with his dad and got there like I don't know after like 15 minutes my stomach was just like uh uh-oh um I had eaten some some pepperoni pizza, I think, like the kind <laughs> that has cheese that you can almost drink, like not, um, not the, not like you know, not like boutique LA pizza <laughs> right. or whatever. It's like it was like it was like gnarly pepperoni pizza, just like mouthfuls of cheese. Anyway, um, I was like, oh no, I don't want to use this guy's bathroom. I'm not sure what's going on here, but I should probably leave. So after like 15 minutes at his house, I I left. Um, and I started driving down the street. It wasn't like, oh, geez, well, if I find a toilet, then I'll be happy about it. It was like, uh oh, I really need a toilet. Um, and I stopped at this liquor store and walked inside and I was like, do you guys have a restroom I can use? And they were like, no, sorry, it's for employees only. At that age, it would have been confusing if I had like lied and said I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I've, done, I've done that before. Um, once, only once an awful person. No, um, and then, so I got back in my car and drove, I was in a like 1991 Honda Civic with a little, like, like a little, like, <laughs> like a racing steering wheel. It was pretty funny. Um, and I drove down the street and stopped at a gas station and got out and it was like, step, step, framp, just like, oh my <laughs> God. I didn't even make it inside. And it was just like, you know, when something like that happens to you, 
you wonder if you're going to spend the rest of your life doing that like uncontrollably because it's just right. so it's so shocking like it it just shouldn't happen <laughs> um and and i i just like i had to get back in my car and like finish like finish <laughs> and then i had to drive home and and you know sitting in my in my <laughs> Oops, sorry, that's 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 my pooch. <laughs> I apologize for that. Anyway, uh, but so you, she disgusting story. And uh, so so I have a number of friends who swap these stories. Sorry, my dog's freaking out, guys. Uh, <laughs> okay, this is like uh, podcast verite. Uh, are you there? Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Coming back to the topic at hand, so I have a number of friends who are athletes and uh, have been competitive athletes, and guys take all sorts of disgusting pre-workout products and so on, and these guys trade stories of what they call fouling out. So what happened to you, they would call fouling out. And oh my God. <laughs> so, well, I'm not alone. My people are out there. No, you're not alone. And um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll trade just a really quick one because I think that most guys who have tried to gain muscle and taken a lot of horrible supplements will somehow identify with this. So I was on my way, driving on my way to SFO, right? Driving to the airport. And I had had a bunch of creatine monohydrate, a bunch of coffee, and then I think what's called MCT oil, which is the ultimate recipe for disaster pants, I now realize in retrospect. But got halfway to the airport, I'm racing to a flight and, <laughs> and had the exact experience that you did. Like oh just sh- viciously shat myself, and so no, I. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like throwing up. It comes in waves. Oh, it's, it, it was the worst. It's like throwing yeah. up. It's so true. So then I had to basically like clean myself up with my own boxers and like run oh into God. the airport, get through security, oh <laughs> and then go deal with myself. But so for those people out there who've had this experience, you're not alone. And I, what you said also, like the steps, kind of like step step. Bang! It, it, it made me think of like San Francisco doula midwifery and whatnot because they're like, oh, when you're trying to have a, 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 a natural birth, if you're doing it at home, you can have a pregnant woman like walk on a curb, <laughs> just like one, one foot on, one foot off. And that's a, one way to like kind of pop the baby out. So, Wow. I, you I, know all kinds of stuff. Well, yeah. The four hour baby. The four hour baby <laughs> sounds like a horrible <laughs> tragedy. Uh, but, but uh, how did the business start? Now, uh, in yeah, I and I, th- I think a lot of people know they know you. They know your photograph. They've seen the book. Uh, they're very familiar with the company as it exists now. But like, what was the what was the moment in which you decided to start selling clothing? Yeah. Um, I would never worked in a clothing store and it wasn't, you know, this eBay was definitely not my way into the fashion industry. That was not my intention. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just was kind of flailing. I wanted to be a photographer, but I figuring out how to like schmooze in the art world or talk about my photography and make stuff up about why it was important or all of that stuff just seemed like not right for me and not like people were inviting me to do shows. Although I did have a show at Adobe books before they went extinct. Did you ever go there? No, this is, this is here in the Bay area. Yeah. It was a super cool bookstore in San Francisco, but I don't know. I was like working at the Academy of art university in downtown San Francisco. How how old were you at that point? I was 22. Okay. Got it. 
And I got that job because I needed to have a hernia fixed. I don't know how I got a hernia, but I had no health insurance. So I had to get a job so I could get health insurance so I could get my hernia fixed. And I had to work at this job for three months to get health insurance. Mm -hmm. So I did. But I was working in the lobby just like checking student IDs and sometimes worked like late at night and was, you know, had time to kill on the internet um, and was getting friend requests on MySpace. I'm not sure if anyone remembers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was getting friend requests on MySpace from eBay sellers that were promoting their businesses on MySpace. And I wore almost entirely vintage at the time and I knew where to find it. And I saw the prices that these vintage pieces were fetching on eBay and said, hey, you know, I can find them for way cheaper. Um, I know how to take a picture. I'm pretty sure I know how to use the internet. Um, and eBay, eBay was a great place to start. You know, there's a kind of like a framework for you to sell online. And it's, it's really easy today. But then building a website, like a, a web shop wasn't, you know, it wasn't as easy. So started with eBay and you also have a built-in customer base there. You put something and you can test, you can test like what works or if people like your taste, you know, your taste or what you have to bring to the table. So I bought eBay for dummies and, uh, had a friend model for free, you know, and just found some vintage, sold some of my stuff. And it was, you know, you can get a read on what people like really, really quickly on eBay because they watch stuff. Right. There's something called watching, which is basically like you're you're like monitoring it or adding to your favorites. You want to see what happens with the auction over the course of a week or ten days. And how did you know where to find vintage clothing? I it was like all I wore, so I just I had spent I've just spent my youth in thrift stores, like discovering, just unearthing stuff that no one else wanted that I thought was really special and. I made a made a career out of it. Did you have a favorite thrift store at the time in the Bay Area? Um, let me think. Uh, at the time, um, I don't know. No, none of them are just none of them are re- a real like gold mine anymore. Right. Um, I liked estate sales a lot because you can encounter people who have no idea what they have. That that's becoming rarer and rarer. And thrift stores are like onto vintage being valuable. Um, how would you find at the time, how would you find the estate sales? Just look in the newspaper or like a Craigslist. I'm not, I'm trying Craigslist, to- Yeah. Craigslist in the newspaper. Yeah. Very and cool. I like line up with all these people that were, I don't know, way older than me at like 6am to be the first people in. And I just run straight for the closet and hope whoever died had great style. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw this, uh, the end. I didn't watch. I didn't see the entire thing. My girlfriend was watching at the end of this documentary about a, I want to say a fashion icon named Iris, who's now or when it was recorded or filmed in her nineties, ninety three, and mm-hmm. she has awesome style. But I think it'll be hard to get to her estate still. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so you get you get eBay for dummies. You know where to find the vintage clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, know how to take a picture. Know how to take a picture. What's, uh, and, and you're getting an indication of what works or what people are at least interested in, right? Mm-hmm. Through the watching. What was, do you remember your first sale or your first day of sales? Yeah, it was like, well, it was a, it was, it was a week of auctions. So I watched what happened over the course of the week. And at the very end, some stuff goes crazy because people swoop in at the last minute trying to steal it from whoever was in the lead. And, you know, sometimes nothing happens, but, 
I, I learned really quickly what, you know, what was working and what wasn't and tweaked that, you know, every, with every auction, with everything I, I bought and I watched my competitors and I watched what they were doing and I just, I tried to do a, a better job and I don't know. What, what, uh, what are some examples of maybe some of the things that you noticed in those initial tests mm-hmm. and that you could be better at? Yeah. Um, well, the thumbnails are the thing that attract that, that, I mean, you, you evaluate everything as you browse eBay by a thumbnail and the title of the item. And those are two things that you can optimize just into kind of infinity. I mean, there's a limited amount of space, but I, I knew that using images that were really bright where you could see the silhouette of the item. eBay thumbnails have gotten a lot bigger, but at the time they were teeny, teeny, tiny. Um, so making it really obvious what the, what the item was and even showing, you know, I had a, uh, I would split the image in half and have, you know, half of the thumbnail be uh, a full, like a full length shot of the item. And then I'd have like a detail shot, like on the, maybe the right hand side and the description. So, I mean, selling vintage is, is such an incredible way to learn perceived value because unless you're selling something that's like a designer, like a Chanel jacket or whatever, you're buying stuff that you're buying it for the style and you're buying things that have no inherent value that could be, that are really are someone else's throwaway and exalting them to a level that makes them worth more and, and worth more. I mean, eBay was the customer who determined the price. I started everything at nine ninety nine and let them choose I'll let them fight over it, but only they only fought over it because I turned it into something really special, um, and I breathed new life into these forgotten about things. And what were I mean as a as a copywriter? How did you accomplish that? Um, and maybe that's a, a non-specific question that's unhelpful. I'm just for yeah. for instance. I mean, a lot of people bring up. Uh, I think it's. Influence by Robert Cialdini, and they talk about, say, you know, scarcity, time restrictions, uh-huh. uh, et cetera, as sort of tools of persuasion that can be used for for good or ill means. Uh, but what did you? How did you learn to write persuasive copy? Um, I don't know. My mom was a writer, and write, reading and writing was always. I mean, it sounds like so so basic, but it was just something that she always took a lot of pride in, and um, something that I really cared about. And I, I guess I had a voice. I didn't realize that until later on when I, re- you know, when I, I realized I was building a brand because there were so many specific things that were, had become part of the nasty Yal DNA. Um, but you can take something that may be like an eighties, like big ass, you know, coat capey thing that, you know, some, you know, overweight lady might've bought, um, and turn it into like this, like avant-garde. I mean, you can use a word like avant-garde for something that could be perceived as like outdated and funky on the wrong person, like a lady with a perm, or just like the coolest thing on some like kid with a weird haircut, you know, on the sidewalk. So mm-hmm. it's all about context, right? Yeah. So, so a couple of things. Um, the the first is thumbnails. We are doing this over Skype. Uh, for those people who always ask me, I'm using Ecamm Call Recorder to record this and Audio-Technica ATR2100 mic, which is about 60 bucks on Amazon. Uh, but your thumbnail for Skype is uh-huh. <laughs> this rad-looking 
chick. I don't know who she is. Uh, who? It's a bunch of bikers, naked female bikers, <laughs> and one of them has it looks like a tattoo of flowers and something over one breast, and she's holding a knife. I can't really tell exactly what's going on. Yep, that's pretty accurate. Where is this from? Or how did you? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> um, so I'm I'm working on I'm working on my second book. Um, and I've been like pulling images, just all kinds of inspiration. Some of it will be used in the book. And this is actually an image from a movie called Girl Boss, Girl Boss Gorilla. Um, <laughs> Gorilla, G-U-E? Yeah. Yeah. So that was a film that I saw a long time ago that was kind of the inspiration for the name of Girl Boss, and very few people know that. Oh. Uh-huh. So these, there's a whole genre of Japanese um like cinema called pinky violence or just pinky films and it's pretty much like all female revenge and like girl gangs and they're so cool like they're super stylish and tarantino's ripped a lot from them um and this this one this is from girl boss gorilla i wonder if i think battle royale i want to say is one of those comic books one of like the most violent Mm -hmm. i've seen it (laughs) violent things you could possibly imagine which makes you then think of some of say the fight scenes in like kill bill uh in some capacity but Mm -hmm. uh coming back to the writing for a second well let me start with a question that i always ask and we'll go from there what is the book that you've gifted most to other people so the book that I've gifted most other people is uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, which I talk about in Girl Boss, And it's, it was written like 100 years ago. And it's, it's written as though it was written in biblical times or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, parables. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's parable. or Yeah, like, it, it would be a parable. It would be like The Alchemist. Yeah, it's, like, it's basically parables set in ancient times describing someone who goes about this guy who goes about, I forget his name, trying to find out how he can make money, how he can make a life for himself and his family. And he encounters all these different people and lessons along the way. Um, and the advice is, you know, very, there's some really simple advice, like save 10% of everything that you earn. Don't take advice from the baker if you want to be a cobbler, you know. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... It's something that anyone can read and understand. It's like a it's like a one hour or two hour read. It's the tiniest little book, and a hundred years later, all of the advice still holds up, which I find really great. Um, and it's like a it's a it's a cheap book, and I'm a cheap giver, so <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so it would be that it would be that in my book, I guess. The, the richest man in Babylon, and what uh, what other writers, just from a writing perspective? So you said your uh, you said your mother was a writer, or your father? My mom. What what type of writing did she do? Well, she sold houses for a long time and then kind of quit doing that and started writing about real estate. Mm -hmm. And now she writes about all kinds of stuff and she's working on her own book. Um, But... Yeah, wait, what was the question? The question was... I was was stuttering and stammering my way to the question, which was, uh, what... Do you have any favorite writers? Or writers that you admire or have influenced you? Any of the above. Yeah. So, uh, Rainer Maria Rilke, I think it's just such a, like, it's great. Can uh, you say that one more time, please? I think it's Rainer Maria Rilke. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so on love and other, what's it called on love and other, uh, maybe it's just on love. I don't know. Everything I read, almost like everything that I learned from actually reading things or, um, 
unearthing culture happened before I started the business because after basically since I was 22, so it's been almost a decade. <laughs> um, I feel like my personal, I don't know, my quest for, for, for knowledge was fulfilled by all the shit, all the challenges that come with building a business. And so things like books that I read for fun and not books that I read to learn stuff kind of went out the door. Right. Uh, it's like all nonfiction. The, the discretionary extracurriculars kind of got con uh, consumed or displaced by the work. Kind of, yeah. It's like I only read things that I can do something practical with now, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, not, not, not something that makes for a lot of relaxation, but fun. <laughs> so Rainer Maria Rilke, if that's, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but he's come up actually in my life in the last 48 hours. I've had two separate people recommend reading, and I did read this long, long time ago, but Letters to a Young Poet, which yeah. is from 1929. Uh, so what do you do? You said it's not relaxing, and I know we're hopping around a lot, but what do you do to relax? Let's just say, looking back at some of the either tougher periods or fastest growing periods mm -hmm. uh, in your company, what did you do to decompress? I mean, when you felt overwhelmed mm -hmm. or burned out, what did you do? How did you manage that? God. Sometimes you just kind of explode, and hopefully no one else is around. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was like, I was like crying last night. Uh, also, why I were mean, you crying last night? I can't let that go. Oh my god, I don't know. Just because because running a business is really hard. <laughs> um, and what do I mean, you? I, yeah, what do you do? I mean, do you cry for like five minutes and you're done? Do you cry for longer than that? Do you? Yeah, I cried for like five minutes and then I was done. Just kind of mm. like this feels good, so I'm gonna just let it happen for a second. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like fuck. It, it was just one of those. It was the long day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But right now, the thing that relaxes me the most is t tuning in and turning off with reality TV. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I just finished watching the entire season of the worst show. It's not the people are not even compelling. They're like not funny. It's 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 so bad, but. It, you can't stop watching it. It's called Dating Naked. Dating Naked. Oh, my God. I've seen – I remember I saw a few minutes of this in like a waiting room at a doctor or something. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous premise I've ever seen. It's but so, I couldn't stop watching it. It's so dumb. It's so <laughs> dumb. But I can't – you can't stop watching it. You're like, ew, they're butts. And you're like, but I like watching this show. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, what else do I do to relax? Hang out with my dogs. Uh, they're cool. Um, these are these are these are the three poodles that are related. They're all siblings. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're different ages. They're like from different litters, but what? their parents like. Yeah, their parents have been busy. What are their <laughs> What are their names? Um, Donna Summer is the oldest one, and she's like three. And the next one's Cozy Dozer, and Cozy's like I don't know, maybe just over a year old, and then. There's one named Gino, who is named after my husband's grandfather, um, and he's like, I don't know, maybe eight months or something. So that's Gino. I, I want to talk about naming, because naming and titling is really, I, I've, I've enjoyed reading about how you've gone about it in a few cases. So the girl boss gorilla, I had no idea. So that's mm -hmm. new. Mm -hmm. and, and I need to get that made into a poster in my house, because it's amazing. You should. Uh, uh, second... So Gina's after the grandfather. What about the two other dogs? How did you come up with those names or how were they named? 
I don't know. Donna was just like, well, it was kind of like, can we name her Donna Bummer? And then it was like, but that's not very nice. Okay, let's name her Donna Summer. I don't know. It, I don't know why. <laughs> so, she's, a, she's a cool haircut. Yeah. And then uh, Cozy was just like super sleepy. And, you know, when we brought Donna home, she was like screaming her head off, just like, don't take me away from my parents. And we were like, oh, no, we're awful. And then we brought Cozy home, and Cozy just like kind of slept. There's, it was just like, I'm cool. And she's still like that. So it was just like, let's, let's name her Cozy Dozer. Cozy Dozer. Now, Nasty Gal. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of folks don't know the origin. Where is the name from? So the name Nasty Gal. Um, so I, I used to work at a record store in San Francisco that's no longer around um, in Noe Valley called Streetlight Records, and spent a lot of time. I think music was probably like my first love way before fashion. I'm not even sure if I'm in love with fashion. <laughs> um, and this, I'm not sure if it was just reissued at that time, but I somehow un- uncovered this album called uh, Nasty Gal by a woman named Betty Davis, who I think is becoming, become more well-known, but um, she's the ex-wife of Miles Davis, and she's just this, like super outspoken funk singer with a really great band behind her, and just these super raunchy, like awesome lyrics, and she just doesn't give a fuck. Um, so when I was choosing a name for my eBay store, which I never thought I'd be, you know, I never thought I'd be talking about it this much, you know, nine years later, which is fine. I still like the name. Um, I thought I thought Nasty Gal would be good because there were so many other eBay sellers who whose business names were like Lady Standing in the Dust or you know like or like Lady in Tall Grass or like Boho, just like so like bohemian and kind of like expected. And I was like, I'm gonna name it Nasty Gal. I don't know. I'm just like I'm an, I'm antagonistic, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, it worked. What? Uh, and, and looking back at Nasty Gal, I guess a couple of questions. One is, so I've read in different places, well, different accounts of this. Why, why leave eBay? What, uh, what, so, what, yeah. One second. Did I actually say that she has an album called Nasty Gal? Cause I think I didn't. Cause I think I just talked about this lady named Betty Davis. Ah, uh, all right. Well, that, that's helpful to have that tidbit then. So the yeah. album name is Nasty Gal, hence. Yes. Bang. Okay. But, Yes. Cool. Uh, the transition off of eBay. How did that? How did that happen? What's the What's the story behind that? Well, it wasn't much of a transition. You know, I like to make promises that I'm not sure I can keep, and then figure out how to keep them. It's happened <laughs> a few times in my life. <laughs> um, nah, we will come back to that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I think you can like will things into happening by just like committing to them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was start, I'd started to promote the idea of this, you know, coming soon, nastygal.com, nastygalvintage.com was actually the first URL. I had to buy nastygal.com from, you can guess who. Um, but I, I had started to leave feedback for my customers. When Wait you- a second. All right. I actually can't guess. I'm like, Bette Davis? I can't imagine. That's the uh, case. Who, no, uh, who, who did you have to buy it from? Was it some like one, one porn, of those, porn company? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Got it. And did, <laughs> did you do that through a broker? Did you reach out to them directly? or how I, did, did you... I did it through a broker. Got it. And yeah. where does someone find such a broker to help them if they want to do that? I don't remember. Someone introduced me to this guy and it was like, it was $8,000. Nice. That's a good investment right there. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry to interrupt, but I had to 
<laughs> I, the, my head was spinning with all these incorrect answers. Yeah. So, so you get the domain. You've put up coming soon. Put up the domain. Yeah, coming soon. You know, nasty yell vintage. And I had started to leave feedback for my customers on eBay, saying like, "Hey, come, come, to coming soon, nastyyellvintage.com." And I was like, "Oh shit, I better build a website. I better actually do this." So I figured it out. I launched the website. Um, and when I launched the website, eBay decided to suspend me around the same time. So it was not a transition. It was literally like, I'm going to try this website thing. I hope I can go back to eBay if it doesn't work out. But it, be- it was very, it became apparent pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be an option. I got suspended for, for leaving a URL in the feedback for the customers. Uh, so eBay, eBay doesn't want to send, they don't want you sending traffic off their website. But- yeah. Ixnay on the stealing our customers, eh? <laughs> from Ixnay their... on the eBay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, God, so, th- so what the hell did you do? I mean, if, if suddenly, bam, yeah. that entire ecosystem is turned off, what happened in the next kind of like 24, 48 hours? Um, I, I had, well, some people, some, some editors had heard or seen on the MySpace profile that I was going to launch a website and they did a little coverage of it when they, when it, when it launched and it launched, it was just kind of like, there was a lot of pent up demand. I, I had, I didn't know I would have any traffic, but the website sold out just instantly. It was like an hour and there was maybe 150 items on the website when we launched, but there's only one of each of those things. There's Mm -hmm. one of a kind, you just, 150 orders still seems like a lot for your first day of doing business. But it was just like, I had like Kelly Ripa's stylist calling me asking if I had another one of those like extras, those in it, like vintage jacket and extra small. It's like, no, it's one of a kind. And I don't know, it was, it was very serendipitous that it, that it worked at all and that, you know, I, I, I was able to not have to go back to eBay, if that is even a sentence. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I, I think we, I think we can work without punctuation in this conversation. Okay. The, the, uh, especially since I've had enough, enough tea now, uh, and, uh, butter and coconut oil to, to last me for like a Siberian trek, but I'm digressing. The <laughs> eBay transition slash booting off of slash, Jumping, mm-hmm. jumping head first and growing wings on the way down. That was how long after you started selling on eBay? That was, oh uh, gosh, a year and a half. And at the, at the point that you launched your site, what did sales look like on eBay for you, if you recall, roughly? Yeah, so the first year on eBay was like 75000 in revenue, which, you know, I wasn't paying myself. I mean, I didn't need stuff. I lived in a pool house for $500 a month. Like, I drove an 87 Volvo. Like, I didn't, I ate Boston Market and Subway, you know, like all the time. So it was, that was like winning the lottery. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think Boston Market's underrated. I used to, <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> it's like Trader Joe's and Boston Market. It's like, don't knock it until you try it. Yeah. Uh, and then you start getting these inquiries from, say, Kelly Ripa style. She is extra small. Um, having been on that show once, she is tiny. No, uh, she's in such great shape. She I is want... in amazing shape. Yeah. Uh, how did you develop those relationships with editors and so on? Or was it all out of the blue? I mean, did you ping them? No, the it was year? it was like totally inbound at that mm. point. And it wasn't like a giant, you know, there wasn't a ton of news every year. It was daily candy. Um, you know, rest in peace. And, 
uh, who, what, where. And they just kind of, they, they followed me on MySpace. They heard about the launch and they decided to talk about it. And the kind of coverage I got was stuff that brands like Cartier will pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, for, but when you're doing something cool, people want to talk about it. And I guess it was cool. I mean, I hate saying that I'm cool, but. but. (laughs) No, you can say it was cool because (laughs) if you were like, let me tell you how I'm cool, it would be one thing, but you're talking about how the, how the, the launch was cool. That's fair. People liked it. They liked it. So they talked about it. If you have something great, people will talk about it. I think that's just kind of like a rule of the internet. And if, if someone were launching now, not necessarily fashion or anything like that, but they say, I have this idea for X. Let's just, let's, we can think something up like, uh, vintage toy cars. Let's just say, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's been done, but, and they say, you know, I would like to figure out, I would like to build a business based on this. What, uh, what advice would you give them in terms of kind of testing or de-risking or testing the waters in any way? Um, or you can, you can answer that in any way, really, that you'd like. But if you had that conversation with someone, and I'm sure you have had probably ad nauseum these types of conversations, but yeah. uh, assuming they're pretty smart, they're willing to do the work, they're detail-oriented, like, what would you say to them? I would say it's, it's really great to test your product. Um, I'm, my MO is like, I'm going to talk about something before I've even launched it and make a big stink about it, the thing that I'm not, you know, who knows if it's going to work out. And that's just, just me being kind of like short attention span, um, instant gratification, but I really think there's a lot of value and, and being patient in testing things with like a small group before you go out there and tell the world, ta-da, you know, here I am fully formed, you know, buy into my stuff, you know, buy into what I'm doing. Um, I think there's just a lot of resources for, I mean, as far as selling online goes, it's, I mean, it's like having a lemonade stand at this point. So it's incredibly easy thing to do. Your product should be really differentiated, and the way you talk about it um, should be unique and and really thoughtful. And regardless of whether you're selling, you know, used diapers or used toy cars, um, <laughs> sorry, um, you you sh- you should you should really really invest in presenting yourself well. And there's websites like Squarespace, obviously that that make that so easy now. Um, so much easier than it used to be just finding a graphic designer that could make something look like what you can plug into now for almost no money is is incredible yeah no the the infrastructure i mean the the rentable infrastructure per se whether it's a squarespace or a wordpress or someone else uh, i mean you can you can have a site up and running within an hour or two and then you could use you know i've mentioned them in the 4 hour work week but even the marketplaces that exist now for things like designers, right? Or illustrators like 99 designs or Fiverr or something like that. I mean, I'm having Mm -hmm. illustrations done for a book right now um, with the non-spec version of 99 designs, these kind of one-on-one projects and the quality is obscenely high. I mean, I've I've been very, very impressed. So it it is a lot easier uh, and particularly with things like Kickstarter, I think you have also the ability to see how strong your pitch is, right? Before you buy inventory or mm-hmm. manufacture things. Yeah. What yeah. Would, no one cares. You don't have a customer. It's like you got to see if anyone cares first. Exactly. First. And if they're willing to part ways with their dollars. What were some books or resources that helped you in the first few years or overall build in building Nasty Gal? Totally. Um 
I would say, I would say the dummies guides are not, I mean, they're fine. They're really fine. When I went to raise venture capital, there's one called, I think it's something like how to be smarter than your venture capitalist, like literally something like that. And I read that and I was like, you know, I've raised $70 million. So I guess I figured that out. Um, and there was a book called no man's land that I thought was really good. It was about just that period of time where you're too small to be big and you're too big to be small. And most people hire middle management, but middle management have never seen the top. So then you hire more senior management and I've done that. And even that's challenging. So, I mean, there's no silver bullet, but reading other people, reading about other people's experiences of growing and struggling with scaling a business always makes you feel better. Um, Is the book that you were thinking of venture deals be smarter than your lawyer and venture capitalist? No, maybe it's called like how to outsmart your venture capitalist or something. (laughs) How to train your venture capitalist. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, How to be smarter than your venture capitalists. That's what it's called. At least that's what's coming up in the search results. Let me see. How to be smarter than your venture capitalist. No, oh, venture deals. Be smarter than your lawyer. I guess that's it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. That venture deals for people interested in this world is uh, is a great book. Uh, that's Brad Feld and his partner. Uh, very very good investors. Uh, what what were some of the biggest challenges um, for scaling an e commerce business? What were some of the harder things that you guys that you had to contend with? Let's just let's just keep it focused on on you. But the company, of course, as it's growing, um, and I've spoken with people like Phil Libin of Evernote on the podcast, and he's like, well, like this, you know, gent who runs Rakuten, he's saying you should always plan on like, what if it's three times bigger? What if it's 10 times bigger? There's sort of these phase shifts where where systems have to be completely redone. But for for you and growing the company, what were some of the what were some of the hardest periods for you? Yeah, I would say I, th- I would scaling is really hard. So I would say infrastructure, so systems. I mean, we still don't have the systems that we would like to have to be able to plan our business and evaluate our business and um, talk about it. And what, what would be some examples of like, systems? I mean, it's really kind of like unglamorous stuff, like an. ERP system, like enterprise resource planning, which basically connects the dots between, uh, you know, different departments like finance and, um, you know, merchandise and whatever else. And right now, everything that we do is living in kind of disparate systems that don't talk as much as they could. Right. Um, so that's, that's a struggle today. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I mean, I would say people. I would say like, you know, being... Having never really been a manager prior to starting the business that is Nasty Gal, um, you know, my dream scenario at one point was, you know, was not getting out of a bathrobe and eating Boston Market, like, you know, with my hands and, and you know, and then, and then encountering, you know, hundreds of, uh, you know, a team of hundreds who are looking up at you. It's like a really scary thing, and they all assume that you. <laughs> I thought you meant your dream was walking into the office of hundreds of people in your bathroom, and I was like, "That's very Wolf of Wall Street." I kind of, oh, wow. I kind of like that visual, like eating lobster tails while you walk through the office. I would totally, I would do that, but I haven't. Um, <laughs> should I start over because I didn't make no, sense? No, 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 okay. no, no. That it, it does make sense. I mean, how? What did you view your? Now you are you are no longer CEO. Is that correct? No. Yes, correct. 
when you were CEO, what did you view as your job? Like as entrepreneur CEO, it's really tough because there's so many things that I've been a part of and done over the course of the company's history. And I'm also kind of the brand, the brand cop. Um, the brand is my voice. Um, the vision has kind of grown out of the, the beginnings, the DNA of what was nasty gal origin story. So there's never been a point where I could just be like the cut and dry. I'm the CEO kind of person, you know, I'm the cultural leader. I'm the, all of these things. It was so many things. Um, so, you know, when, when you're, when you're growing a business, it's really hard to say, no, I'm not going to plug that hole. I'm not going to edit the photos. I'm not going to, you know, company spring leaks. And when you have, when, when you've done so many different things, it's, it's easy to sprout arms and fingers and just start like, you know, overextending yourself by filling in the gaps as they present themselves, um, over the course of, you know, so it was, it was not, I I don't think I got to choose my, what I did as much as I perhaps would have liked to. And I'm even today, I'm not, I'm not sure if I have that privilege because you kind of have to do what the company needs you to do for it to continue operating or to be its very best. Um, and nine years of that is a really long time. Um, and I, th- I think my greatest strengths are with the brand and with, with marketing the brand and with the creative and, um, the things that in the beginning built, built nasty gal. And that's what uh, I'm hoping I can focus on today. How do you, how do you keep, try to keep the team on the same page so that that sort of brand aesthetic and spirit doesn't get fragmented and turned mm-hmm. into some Frankenstein monster where you've become mm-hmm. brands that you loathe or whatever. You, you get totally. the idea. How do you, yeah. how do you try to steer that? You can really quickly become a caricature of yourself. Um, like, yeah. Um, uh, like, yeah, like a spoof of, <laughs> <laughs> right. of like what you've done best. And I think it's a, it's a matter of talent, but it's also coaching. But it, the, at the end of the day, I think you really need to have tools that everyone can rally around and say, hey, this is what it is. This is what the brand is. This is what we're all signing up to do, not this is my idea versus your idea versus your idea. Because I think culture, like in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a business that people really excited are excited to work at, culture can be used as a weapon. I think the brand can be used as a weapon. I think there, you know, there have been times where people who are really cool and actually do get what the brand is, find themselves really frustrated because not everybody gets it the way they do. And they start to say, well, Sophia, Sophia said this, or Sophia wouldn't like that. And it's like, I don't want to be, don't sling me around. Like that's not cool. Um, and so we've been spending the last several, several months actually working on somewhat of a brand Bible, but also just filters for how we make decisions about what the voice is and, how we how we take pictures and you know the the world that that is the nasty gal world and what the you know what the guardrails are that people can explore within we always want to leave room for people to be creative but it takes out the it takes out the uh ob, the objectivity uh or wait yeah the ob, mm, the subjectivity oh my god my brain's not working <laughs> Basically, it makes it not personal. So yeah, yeah, not- makes it makes it more objective or depersonalized. Yeah, so it's easy for it to be like, oh, well, that's not on brand because I said so. It's like, oh, hey, we're all trying to do the same thing. Let's look at this thing that sits outside of us and 
our taste, our ego, whatever. Let's talk about what it is rather than what we think it is. So you have to have those things defined for people to have conversations about. And that's something I'm really excited to have. There's a, uh, there's a really cool handbook. Um, I think it's just called the handbook for new employees for a company called valve, which is a software company. Uh, it's mm-hmm. one of the coolest sort of employee orientation handbooks that I've ever seen. I had a chance to meet, uh, I guess it was Gabe Newell at one point in Seattle and I was, uh, somebody else then recommended I see this handbook. It's really cool. You should check it out. I think you might enjoy it and people listening might get something out of it. You can find the free PDF. If you just search valve employee handbook, it's pretty sweet. I uh, think I've seen that. It's really beautiful. It's this teeny little cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really well yeah. done. Great illustrations but uh, lays out the basic ground rules right, for working within this somewhat unusual culture. Um, mm-hmm. th- now, you mentioned the before I derailed us with the uh, Wolf of Wall Street analogy and you walking around in a bathroom eating lobster tails, mm-hmm. uh, which actually I have to quick, uh, quick anecdote. So when I was in college, one of my buddies, and I was in, I was in New Jersey, and one of my buddies ends up calling us from Atlantic City and he's like, there are limos coming to get you. You have to come to Atlantic City. We show up and he's just been on a bender and made like $200,000 blackjack and proceeds to spend it all in the next 48 hours. And he was walking around the casino in a bathrobe eating and he ordered lobster tails for everyone on the, on the like blackjack floor. Wow. <laughs> and so I was kind of imagining like you could, you could be that person, but with like a martini glass. Um, I, love, I love absurd, just doing absurd things <laughs> like that. Cause you can like that's. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to ask you about, I was going to ask you about managing and I will, but absurd things. What are some absurd things that you've done? Um, oh my gosh, I'm getting on a bus that I'm calling a girl bus, hashtag girl bus. Um, um, and well, it's like later at the end of this month and we're, it's just the paperback. It's the girl boss paperback and it has a new introduction in it. It's the introduction to the introduction, I guess, just talking about what's happened over the last year a little bit. And we're going to like 10 different cities on this crazy tour bus. It's like I'm a Spice Girl or something. <laughs> and, you know, throwing events at different venues and some bookstores. And it's just like it's really absurd to be riding around like Hillary Clinton in like a campaign bus basically. But Penguin Penguin wanted to do it, and I thought it was just like too good to pass up. And it's it's really funny to have your face and the cover of your book like, like you know, slathered across the side of like a giant tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I would imagine. What about um, managing? Let's talk about that. So the managing of people, you had no experience prior to Nasty Gal. Now it's grown, of course, tremendously. Um, what were, who were the mentors or what were the things that helped you learn to manage to the extent that you were able? Oh my God, I think I'm still learning. Um Wait, say that again? Yeah, that was a that was a word salad question. Okay. Um, who are the mentors or like the the resources that helped you learn to manage other people? Because I think that's a weakness of mine, quite frankly. I'm good at defining systems, but I'm not always uh for instance, I mean I was raised by or not raised by, that sounds weird. I was coached by a lot of athletic coaches who were always kind of uh, very short with praise. They would, they would not 
they didn't do a lot of head pats, mm-hmm. and, but heavy on criticism and very Same. meticulous. And so I am often very bad at providing praise when I probably should, because I don't feel like I was ever given it. Therefore, it's not really necessary. Totally. Yeah. Uh, but I'm the same. I but, think I'm the same. But that causes all sorts of problems, right? At yeah. Least in my people experience. are like, we don't feel appreciated. And it's like, oh my God, I totally appreciate you. But like, I respect your intelligence enough not to like be like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's tough. I mean, because I've always been told like, look, the, the good cuff, the good stuff. I remember I had a VP of sales at one point when my first job out of college and he said, you know, I, I would give him all the story and the backstory, tell him all this stuff about every client. He's like, Tim, I don't need the story. I just need to know next steps. And second, I don't need to know the good news because that takes care of itself. I need to know the bad news. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. so I've kind of adopted that, but you end up in a position where people can get very demoralized in, in a culture where people aren't getting, uh, the, or don't have the ability to celebrate little wins and so on. Who, who has helped you to become a better CEO when you were a CEO or a better manager? I've had some executive coaches along the way. I think knowing the difference and then actually living the difference are two different things. And I think I'm pretty aware of the things that I'm, that what my shortcomings are as a manager, as a leader, as a fill in the blank. Um, I'm not, you know, I think I have experienced the same thing where when you are, especially if you're entrepreneurial, which I think we, we can both like safely say we are, Mm -hmm. no one's giving you, no one's giving you those pats on the back. And when you find yourself in a position to be doling those out, you don't, you don't really relate because that's not something that you ever required. I'm an only child. I had a really mean dad. I mean, he's awesome now, but like it was criticism after criticism and it makes you self-aware enough to, uh, to calibrate on your own in a lot of ways, even though I'm totally open to, I love, you know, criticism and I love, but I think when you, when you're like a solo act at any point in your life and have to manifest things without, without the team, without the amazing team that we have today, you become really good at being your own critic and your own, and also your own pat on the back or you're motivated maybe by different things. And that's a hard thing to relate to as an entrepreneur, um, who's leading, who's leading people. And I think that's definitely been one of my shortcomings. Um, but I've, I've, I'm always like seeking advice and I'm always seeking to better myself. I think leadership management chops, whatever you want to call it, is something that comes over time. A lot of things are just learned over time with repetition and that's something that I have, you know, I've been, I've, that's one part of the job that I've had is managing people, leading people. But there's been a million other things that I've done uh, over the course of, you know, Nasty Gal's trajectory and having someone like Sherry, our CEO, who has a lifetime of those chops behind her, who wakes up every day inspired, not just inspired to lead people, but knows how to do it in a way that will work is such a real, it's such a cool thing to witness. And uh, when when you were in the CEO role, who were the other CEOs out there, alive or dead, that you admired and really looked to as role models? Hmm, good question. Um, I mean, I've always admired Natalie Massinet, who founded Net-A-Porter. Um, I, I, she hasn't been the CEO for a long time, but she's she's just like an incredible woman. Um, Why is she incredible? Um, she's, she's a mother of two. Uh, she started a company along, you know, like she started an e-commerce business long before most of us had the idea to, um, she's 
you've been told, you know, I mean, I think people like kind of scoffed when, she, you know, she said, I'm going to sell a $30,000 handbag on the internet or sell shoes on the internet or these things that have become really commonplace. And she's also just a super duper down, down to earth woman who's funny and sweet and gives great advice and who's seen a lot. And, um, there's not, there's not a ton of examples that I think are, are similar to hers. Mickey Drexler is also an incredible like Mickey, CEO. Mickey Drexler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Mickey Drexler is? I don't. I'm embarrassed to say. Oh my but, god! But I shan't tell the lie. I okay. Don't. He's the um, he's the CEO at J Crew right now, and he used to be the CEO at Gap, and he's kind of like a retail legend. Um, he's the, I think he's called like the Merchant Prince or Merchant King or something like that. It's cool. It's a cool nickname. I know, right? I know. Um, He's just, he's someone who's given me advice along the way, just really great advice and connecting me to people that I've ended up, you know, great people beget great people. And, you know, it's just when you meet someone awesome, you it's off, it's, it's, it's common that I find the, the people that they surround themselves with the people that I also like. And that's, it's just such a cool thing. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, you don't have to, it's like, it's like going to a, never mind. Wait, wait, no, no, no. I want you to finish that thought. That was about was, to get interesting. <laughs> I was going to start babbling like about Yelp reviews and it's like, it's like a Yelp review for a person. It's just like, it wasn't, it was not an intelligent thought. So I gave up. <laughs> you know, I should learn to do that more often. I would embarrass myself a lot less. <laughs> uh, what were, what, what was some of the advice that uh, Mickey has given you that, uh, that has stuck with you? Mm. It doesn't have to be specifically business. It could be anything. I mean, his advice was to stay CEO, which is really funny. It's definitely stuck with me, but I, I ignored it. <laughs> um, let me think. I can, I can give you an escape hatch for this. My, my memory blows. My memory blows. <laughs> we can, we can, I, can, uh, I can give you a whole slew of, of pills and potions for that, uh, but we, we will do that separately. The... Um, have you met David Cho? No. You haven't. Okay, somebody asked online what you what you learned from him. Uh, that was what? Very, David yeah. Cho? Yeah, the uh, the the graffiti artist slash artist who ended up, I guess, worth five hundred million after Facebook. I believe I'm saying his last name. Oh, cool. Or, what did yeah. I learn from him? No, I didn't. I that's cool. But you haven't met him. Uh, what I learned about him was everything that you just told me. That's okay. What I, okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've been hoping to. I find his story fascinating, so I'm hoping to to connect with him at some point. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, he's just made some really fascinating creative decisions that uh, I'd love to love to dig into. But um, anyway, that's a whole separate story. Um, the uh, what what do you struggle with the most, and how do you deal with it? I struggle with doing it all the most. I struggle with feeling like I don't have time for everyone who I want to have time for and who I, I assume wants my time, (laughs) um, for, for my friends and for my husband and for my parents and for my team. Um, it's just time is a really finite thing and prioritizing it so that you can, you know, so you can be your best so that you can, you know, have real solid time with people. So you can also find time to be alone or to take a vacation. It's just, there's not enough time. Um, so I, I'm always feeling like I'm letting someone down or I'm just, you know, it's like, it's like my calendar is booked up for the next month and a half now. And it's just, I, I it's, it's not always like that, but 
to look out at the rest of the year, it's kind of like, it's over. Like the year's over, you know, mm-hmm. year's over. That's, that's something, I don't know if I, you know, I kind of hope that my life isn't always like that, but there's, there's gotta be great things if you're planning that far out, I guess, you know, I feel very lucky for that. And the answer to your question really is, is feeling like I don't have all the time I wish I had to spend with all the people that I wish I could spend it with. Now, and how, me, how do I deal with that? <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with it? Like, and, and let me ask uh, just a, in combination with that, and this is maybe a very silly question. You obviously are very driven and that it sometimes leads people to find it difficult to hit the, the pause button or downshift, but you've mm-hmm. stepped out of the CEO role. I would think as an outsider looking in, uh, of course you're still going to be very involved as, as, uh, chairman, as chairman, but why can't you create more time? Why can't you block out time? Cause the company still needs me for my things. And I still partner with my, my CEO and still spend a lot of time with her. You know, I'm drumming up opportunities for the business, whether it's a collaboration or, um, you know, weighing in on, on something creative, you know, I still spend time there. Uh, you know, I've, I've signed up for more things that, than I probably should have, but you know, I, 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 everyone should be so, I don't know. I feel, I I feel like saying no is just, it doesn't create opportunities. So I'm throwing all that I can into the air and just to see how much I can actually handle. I think, I don't know. I'm like a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Um, so, you know, it's like I'm launching a podcast next month. I'm, like promoting this paperback. I'm, fin- you know, I'm working on another book. I'm like, who knows? I mean, I want girl boss to become its own thing. Girl boss should be, is, is so much more than a book. It should be a business. It should be, it should be conferences. It should be, it should be so many things beyond what it, what it is. It's just a matter of, of doing it, um, of, of making, making the time and finding the team and, oh my God, what am I going to start another business? I'm not sure, you know, but just, Doing, doing all I can with all that I have and connecting things that shouldn't connect is what really, really gets me excited because that's where, that's where invention happens and that's, that's where I get, that's where I just get like really, really excited about things. So what, what were some of the key inflection points for, uh, for the company? So if you look back over the last 10 years or whatever it is, um, what were some of the key inflection points that allowed Nasty Gal to become what it is, right? Because I can think back, for instance, with the four-hour work week, I can think very specifically to like the day that Robert Scoble at the time put something on his blog was a clear inflection point. Uh, it, that was a clear inflection point. The appearance on Dr. Oz, clear inflection point. So, uh, meeting certain people, getting advice from, say, uh, Michael Gerber, who wrote the E-Myth Revisited. And before I even wrote the four hour work week, he said, if you're going to write a book, write a fucking book. Like don't half-ass it because a mediocre book is more of a liability than a help and, um, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, so I can point to very clear introductions, meetings, Mm -hmm. blah. Mm -hmm. What are some of those for, for you and Nasty Gal? Yeah, I would say it was launching. I mean, the first one would be just launching the eBay store. The next one would be selling a Chanel jacket that I bought for $8 for uh, over $1,000. Um, the next one would probably be launching launching the website and having it sell out just overnight. And then pretty soon after that, hiring my first employee. 
Um, after that, it would be buying things that weren't vintage. So buying a small, medium, and large of something from a trade show and bringing in new brands and testing and seeing if our customer had an appetite for more than just vintage, um, which they did. And then it was like, I, I think just, just, you know, scaling isn't, that's not a, that's not an inflection point, but what happened? We outgrew our space in Venetia. I mean, we've moved so many times, but I would say after that it was raising $50 million from index ventures Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, it was four pages in Forbes in 2012. How did the four pages in Forbes happen? Because there's often some backstory, right? Not, not all of them are just gifts from heaven that get dropped in your lap. And maybe this was, but how did that come together? I mean, that's a, that's a significant. Wait, how did what drop in my lap? No. How did it come together? I'm not saying it did Forbes? drop in your lap. Forbes. Yeah. Um, Oh my God. The way, the way media works is, well, it was, it was, it was someone who I had met through index. Her name was Julie Supan and she was friends with someone who wrote at Forbes and they were getting brunch and she mentioned me and this, the reporter, um, got interested. And then I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never talked to the media before. And then Julie, Julie used to run, um, like PR at, at YouTube and she's, she consults for, for startups and she's kind of like a maestro of all things uh, publicity and she was like well now that you have uh, someone writing a profile on you in Forbes you sh- you probably need my help so I <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it was she did a great job and you know so I hired her and she helped helped me just coach me through it she was like they're gonna want you to look like a billionaire that's that's their you know we've had to reshoot other stuff that I've worked on with Forbes because they didn't think that the entrepreneur and his hoodie looked like a billionaire. So it's so funny. It's really funny just how all of that works. And so now I show up at photo shoots and I'm like, what do you want me to be? Okay. I'm bringing it, you know, it's like so dorky, but you know, it's like, whatever you just try to do your, you do your best. Um, what was that? What was that like? That was cool. What was, what were some other pieces of advice that you got, uh, or things you've learned about interacting with media? Um, God, I've learned so much. I feel like I could. I'll give one. Always do fact check corrections via email and not phone. Yeah, that's That's (laughs) smart. You need a paper trail of that stuff. I've been misquoted so many times. Really? Uh, And then that will sneak its way into Wikipedia and then it's a big, big quagmire to fix. Um, I mean, I think it's just that like the media always wants something to talk about and... Um, they can, they can skew things for their own, you know, for their own fun. And it's, you know, there's a time where I think I believed a lot of what I read out there and I still believe a lot of it, but when there's controversy, it's often just to serve, um, you know, clicks and, you know, get, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't know what, I'm just kind of babbling, but be careful with what you say. Um, yeah. and if you don't have anything to say, then just don't say anything. I think it's okay to say no. Yeah, um, definitely. And also, I mean, one thing that I've learned, cause if you take something out of context, like one sentence out of a paragraph, it can make you look like, you know, a hero or a complete ass or a misogynist or an asshole or any number of things. So the context is so important. You know, what I've been doing for the last couple of years is if I send a response via email to a journalist, I'll just say, thank you for using this in its entirety. I do not give 
permission to slice and dice this. If it's going to be cut down, I need to give you permission. Mm-hmm. And uh, not everybody responds well to that, but usually the ones who respond poorly to that, if, you, if it's diplomatically worded, are the people who already had an agenda to slant something in a really mm-hmm. controversial, unnecessarily and, sort of uh, incendiary way. And even like the most, you know, the best, some of the best journalists I've worked with they'll write a really positive story and then they'll throw, they'll throw in some shit just for their own credibility to make sure they don't sound like some big fan. Yeah. So there's always going to be some shit that they like say that you're going to be like grumpy about, but it makes them credible and you just yeah. kind of have to like stomach it. Yeah. Um, and you can actually, I mean, you can help them also. You can facilitate things by saying like, here are two or three of my detractors, but that'll, that can also give you, um, as long as they're, say, factual attackers. Yeah, Does that make sense? That I, yeah, once that you, I you walk can... like an ogre in heels, and it's like, um, no. Like, I've, like, go-go danced in public in fucking heels. I'm pretty sure I can walk in heels. <laughs> it was just like, no. Like, it's fine, but, like, of all the things, like, I can walk in heels, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, um, just, like, pick something. Just There's plenty of things to criticize. Jesus, if you if you catch me in, like, a, you know, if in the corner, I'm probably picking my nose. Like, you know, just, like, find something real. Talk about that. <laughs> plenty. Uh, um, when, when, are you, when are you happiest? God. Um, I'm happiest when I'm, like, running down a trail in Big Sur, downhill a little, just a little downhill, like, and you, and you jump, and you feel like you fly, like, 20 feet. It's almost like a dream. Um, oh, yes. I think that's the best feeling, is being like, I'm in a video game, but it's real. Like, this is real life. And I'm, it's like, yeah, I think just, like, running down a trail in the forest is, like, maybe the best feeling ever. <laughs> that's such a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> Uh, do you side note, if you come back to San Francisco, I'm sure that'll happen at some point, there's a place called house of air, which is basically a humongous building full of trampolines at different angles and you can feel like you're in the matrix. It's amazing. Uh, do you struggle with depression or anything like that? And you don't have to, I'm not, Oh, totally. totally. I struggled with depression my whole life. Um, I've been in and out of therapy my whole life. They tried to tell me I had ADD and give me some stuff in high school, and they tried to give me stuff for depression. It's made me made me feel super wired. Um, mm-hmm. I I think when I got busy, that went away. Um, more than anything, I think I struggle with anxiety. So I I can hit the ceiling by like 11 a.m. Um, if something just doesn't go right. I mean, I don't like yell or pound my fists. I'm not like a person in the office who throws things. But if I'm like, if I'm not happy, ain't nobody happy, like in the room, basically, it's just kind of like, <laughs> it's not, so I don't, I'm not good at like hiding my feelings. It's, it's unfortunate. And then there's people who value it and mm, might try to keep those people around. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, de- depression, depression's like a gnarly, a gnarly thing. How do you, how do you contend with that? Uh, and I ask as someone who has similar ups and downs and has for as long as I can remember. But what, what are your, what are your coping mechanisms? Um, if it's, you know, I, it's easy to point at things in your life that are out of your own control. Like I've pointed at who, who's, I got married like three months ago, but I've, there's been times where I pointed at Joel and I was like, you're the problem. And it's like, no, you're just not, you're not solving your own problems. Like, 
I think you can just look everywhere outside of yourself to fix your problems and thank God I'm not like, I don't have like addiction issues or anything because I'm totally, I, if that was, if that was, if that ran in my family, I'd be a total mess, I think. Um, um, I, I don't know that I've been, I've taken antidepressants at different times um, and some are better than others. Um, but I just, I generally like to stay pretty kind of, I don't know, alcohol, alcohol can help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, um, <laughs> that's, so I, yeah, I'm not, sorry. I'm not alcohol and reality, I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, lay, I'm laying What's off you? the booze more now though. But, um, I mean, I can have one glass of wine and I'm like the happiest, most like, uh, like charismatic, like, you know, just fun person when and effusive yeah and when i'm not drinking i'm like you don't want to walk up and talk to me like i'm not friendly like i'm not unfriendly i'm just not open you know i'm just kind of like stuck in my head you know i don't know what what's your go-to wine drink or your go-to wine yeah um i i like white wine a lot of bars don't have um white wine but it would just be like a I don't know. I started drinking Chardonnays. I like those. Oh, I got a Gewürztraminer. Oh, those it's are really nice, good, nice right? Thing. It's really yeah. good. Very min- minerally. You know what's a good one is the Cliff family, the Cliff Bar people. I went to this thing in Napa. Oh my god, it's so I sound like so cool now. But I uh, took a. I, I like <laughs> went on a on a bike ride. It was basically my my investors have a retreat every year. And all of their entrepreneurs and, and their and the in the the um, the partners at their firm get together, and this is at the Cal- at Calister Ranch, which is like the a really beautiful place in Napa. Gorgeous, super, super yeah. pretty fancy. And then they have these activities, you know. So you you hear people talk, and there's really cool people. Like Jerry Yang spoke at the last one, and um, just it's, it's it's really interesting. And then they have this you know this, these um, activities, and one of them was. Um, you know, road biking and road biking up to a winery and then having a glass of wine. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting in shape for my wedding. Like if I'm going to drink wine, I should get on a bike first. Right. And oh my God, these, all these guys, they're all European for one. And they're like, you know, they're like wealthy guys who like have their own shoes and like all the clothes and like do this. They like do it as a thing, you know, they're like those guys. who have this. All the cycling. So they're like $5,000. I just thought, it was, take, take I thought it was like, I was just like going on a bike ride for fun. And I was just, Oh my God, I was the only person that like didn't finish it. I had to get in the car and like get a ride to the top of the hill. <laughs> anyway, in the top of the, at the top of the hill was cliff family winery. I don't know why I'm like, I'm like, I don't know them. I'm not, I'm trying to not trying to like plug anything. It was just like, a, I'd never heard of Gewurz Traminer and I bought a few bottles and took, and like had it shipped to my house. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess a white crispy wine. Yeah. Super. That's super tasty stuff. Uh, Sancerre is pretty good go-to for a lot of folks. The, uh, I guess yeah, I usually do a, a gin tonic sort of Hendrix and a Hendrix and soda is kind of my go-to if I, uh, don't want to have a nasty, nasty headache uh, or tequila, as you've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> tequila's gnarly. You have to, you have to go with the good stuff if you're going to do tequila. So the the Casa de Aragones is uh, very expensive but very tasty. With that, no headache. I mean, you saw me; I had a fair amount to drink, but uh, no headache the next day. No cognitive dysfunction. Felt just fine. Uh, the uh, when you think of the word successful, and I know that's a, a gnarly dicey word, but who's the first person who comes to mind for you? 
Yeah. Um, successful. The word success is really conf- like conflicted for me because it sells people this idea that there's like a destination. Um, I think there's people who can mani- have manifested things that in the world that make more noise than other people, but success can just be as being a stay at home mom. If that's your dream, success can be, um, having a small business and keeping it that way and keeping in laying low because that's what you want and that's the life that you want. Um, I really want, you know, and, and as someone who's public, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a, it's a hairy thing because I'm out there and I'm, I'm, I have a book and, you know, I have a business and I sell things and whatever, but it's, I just really want people to remember that they're capable of doing everything that the people they admire are doing. Maybe not everything, but if you're, don't be so impressed. I guess that's where, you know, where, where my head goes is, you know, there's no reason that you can't have the things that the people that you admire, that you admire have. And so success just sells this kind of like ultimate destination when even though, I've accomplished something and you've accomplished something and whatever. It's like you, I, I told you I was crying last night. It's not like we, who like my, you know, I'm done. I've, I've arrived or anything like that. If you have any amount of hustle and any amount of humility, you know that, um, it all can go away tomorrow and that you should do everything that you can with it now with what you have today. Um, so I guess it's a very philosophical way of saying, when I hear the word success, I don't know what Warren Buffett. I don't, you know, it's like tough. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, when, it's tough when you, it's, you said don't ask the cobbler if you're a bricklayer or whatever. I, I was thinking of Warren Buffett when you said that because he often says don't ask a barber if you need a haircut, <laughs> which uh-huh. is he's full of those. Totally. Full of those. Uh, the let let me ask just a couple of uh, rapid fire questions. You, you don't have to have rapid fire answers, but uh, just because I, I know that people will ask me why I didn't ask them if I leave them out. What is your favorite documentary or movie? Mm, my favorite movie might be a film called The Color of uh, The Color of Pomegranates, and it's by um, this guy Ser- Sergey Parajanov. I'm not even sure if I pronounce it correctly. He was like a Georgian. Um, filmmaker and it's basically a moving painting it's just one of the most there's almost no dialogue it's just one of the most beautiful films i've ever seen and um i've been you know i grew up greek orthodox and i'm just still kind of enchanted with the with eastern um the visuals of like eastern europe um yeah sounds sounds gorgeous yeah i need to sort of fill up my roster so i'll add that to the list uh what are you world class at that people might not realize, or what do your friends know you're world class at that the rest of the world doesn't know about? Um, wait, um, what what did I put on my thingy? I don't know. I didn't read it. So for those people listening, I um, I send. I could look it up. <laughs> I I send some of these questions in advance just so people don't get totally stumped. Um, which happens, uh, but I didn't look at the answers because I wanted it to be fresh for conversation. Uh, I could pick it up. I could look it up. Uh, bear with me a second. I'll pick it up. Oh my god, I can use my brain. Hold on. That's okay. That's okay. It's uh, so. Let's see. We got uh, playing catch. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess playing catch. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm like I, I, I can have really good coordination to the point of it like being freaky. Like if I drop something, I can be like looking the other direction, like scratching my armpit with one hand, and then like, like swoop in and like cat-like reflexes. Like that happens sometimes, but it always mm-hmm. it even surprises me. And also, I'm good at playing catch. <laughs> do you did you play athletics uh, or sports growing up or no um yeah I played soccer I mean I played basketball I played softball when I was like in third grade and then I played soccer a lot um I snowboarded a lot um you never hacky sacked (laughs) San Francisco awaits when you come back (laughs) we can have a we can do some like hula hooping totally uh, you have to teach me how to break dance I could teach you. I could give some basics. We could do six stepping next time you you come along. Okay. Uh, what are the most common misconceptions about you? Um. Oh, I think people. Well, I met some people yesterday who thought they were like. I was like, "What is what? Is, what surprises you most?" We spent some time, and they I showed them the office and talked to them about my business. And I was like, "Well, you know, what do you? What surprised you?" And they said, "Well, you're 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 not as egotistical as I thought you'd be." And I was like, "Wow." <laughs> I mean, that's not insulting. You from the outside, you know, you put yourself on the cover of a book with your hands on your hips and, you know, whatever. And, you, you, and maybe you expect something different, but that was, that was, ple- that was a pleasant response. <laughs> yeah. It's better than the other way around. Yeah. Right? Like, wow, you're so much more mega maniacal than I could oh have God, get me away from you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? And where would you put it? Mm. Um, if I could have a billboard, I'd put nothing on it and I'd put it everywhere. <laughs> Just an empty yes. billboard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to go back and see if, uh, there's anything else that you'd stop telling women to smile. Yeah. That's just like such a grumpy billboard though. I changed my mind. <laughs> I'd rather just have nothing. Yeah. Like you project what you want onto the billboard. But okay. So, that's that's and since I've given you this this imaginary billboard, you're entitled to do that. But I want to hear the backstory and stop telling women to smile. What's the what's the what's the story backstory? Um, well, it's something that I've said. I mean, I've said just like stop, don't tell me to smile, or like I mean, if you're a girl who's not like who who a guy wants to talk to and you intimidate them because you aren't like giggling or whatever, they'll like take a. It's like you're you're we're there for your we're there for your pleasure. I don't know what it is. But it's happened to me from as early as I can remember. Just like, you should smile more. Just like, oh, you look really pretty when you smile. And it's like, that's nice. Thanks. Um, but there's something that's like, you're, you're here for me. So can you just smile if I have to like, look at you? You know, because you're making <laughs> like a woman, a woman evaluating me just makes me feel like emasculated or something. Kind of, you know, like they just like don't know how to mm. handle it. And it's really frustrating and honestly pretty insulting. And then... I found out that there's a woman named, what is her name? I mean, she has like this, she's an artist. I think she's in Brooklyn. And she started something called Stop Telling Women to Smile. And someone was telling me about it the other day. And her name is Tatiana Fazla Lizda. Oh, my God. Fazla Liza Day. Um, it's a tough Yeah, name. it's just her long name. I'm, I'm embarrassed of how I did that. But... Um, she has like a, like wheat paste posters and like kind of like a campaign, like stop telling women to smile. Like I'm not your baby, that kind of shit, which is just, I wouldn't put, you know, if, if I could put one thing in a billboard, it would probably be nothing. 
Um, maybe Nasty Gal if it was free, you know. yeah uh what what was your what was your thinking process around um stepping down stepping out of the ceo role yeah yeah i just my the things that i find myself that, that i think i'm good at are not the things that a ceo wakes up every day to do um run running an executive team of c levels who have more experience you know, than I've been in, you know, than, than I've been in business for, or, um, it's just, it's like, there's a, like I said earlier, there's just a totally different skill set that comes with leading, leading people and, um, and giving praise and repeating what you're there, what we're all here to do. There's a lot of repetition actually. And I'm the kind of person that's like, what, you didn't hear me the first time, which is not, I'm not saying I'm proud of that. Um, I just think yeah. that's kind of how I, that's just like how I roll. And I, you know, I, I it, it's a whole, it, there's an art to leadership. And um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to focus on the creative parts of the business. You know, I want, you know, the, the book kind of had its own, it, be, it, it kind of made me the face of the company, which I wasn't prior. And so there's things that come along with that, that um, are good for nasty gal, but take my time and take me out of your office. And there's nothing worse than feeling like you're, you've abandoned the people who are reporting to you who need your time. It's just a matter of choosing. Um, so I, you know, I chose, and it was something that had been, that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, what was, what was the first day like or night after you made the decision and it was, You'd finally kind of made the call and knew that you were no longer going to be CEO. Um, I think it was just a lot of relief, a lot of relief and just feeling like I had done the right thing. I was really happy for Sherry, um, my CEO, and it just seemed kind of like a non-event to our team. I expected more of a reaction, but they were like, what's the difference? Sherry's in all of the all-hands meetings and she speaks. We know who she is. What's different? I don't think it was a huge change for most of our team, which felt good, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's great. That's yeah. huge. That's a big Yeah. Deal. I expected a lot more questions and I was kind of bummed that people weren't, they weren't like, they weren't like, <laughs> they weren't like freaked out. They're like, okay, cool. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been waiting for years. Know, for that that <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way. Out. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> What uh, $100 or less purchase has most positively impacted your life in recent memory? Um, I had a hamburger yesterday. Hamburger? Mm-hmm. What, kind of, what kind of hamburger? I mean, was it a particularly uh-huh. interesting hamburger? Or I what? don't know. I mean, the one thing. I mean, I could th- yeah, let me, I can think harder on this, but. I- yeah, no, it's basically just inexpensive stuff that you get a lot of value out of. Let me think. I'm looking at my. I mean, a manicure. Manicures are like pretty. They're good. They're like they make you feel better, but they cost like you know. I, I get gels, so I don't know. Maybe they're like twenty or thirty bucks, and um, you 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 don't hate your hands as much. I don't know what else. Um, <laughs> under a hundred dollars. Not a lot is under a hundred dollars. It's like a hamburger, or you know, a probably. I mean, probably a glass of wine. Oh my god! That's, That's true. the theme here. It's a glass. No, glass of wine's good. I actually bought one of my favorite bottles of wine I've ever had 
uh, I bought from Trader Joe's. They have great wine service. I mean, the people really know what they're mm-hmm. talking about. It's four, $4 for a bottle of white wine. And if, if you want to upgrade that, you get the, um, I, I really like Rombauer Chardonnay. Oh yeah. Rombauer is good. Yeah. 2004, I think I had, which was amazing. Uh, and, uh, not that expensive. That was the first white wine I ever bought a case of. I thought I would never buy a case of white wine ever. I've always been a red wine guy and Rombauer Chardonnay was the one that made the difference. Um, what is what is the first sixty minutes of your day look like? Now I, I'm going to ask that a little retrospectively. When you were CEO of the company, mm-hmm. uh, on a on a on a on a day where you look back and you're like, "Fuck yeah, kicked ass today." What did the first sixty to ninety minutes of your day look like, or or what were your morning routines? Yeah, routines? I mean, I usually and a day that ends well is one that started with exercise. That's for sure. Mm, that's, um, yeah, so mm-hmm. key. Um, I usually eat, you know, for breakfast. So I wake up. Let me. Just, what time? What time do you wake um, up? Um, I don't know, like six thirty, seven. Um, most people are like exercising at six thirty or seven, but I'm just, I don't know. I, I stay up. I'm like, I keep, I, I just keep weird hours. Um, so I wake up. I take my Invisalign out of my mouth because I sleep with these braces in, basically. And before that, it was a mouth guard because I clenched my teeth because I'm a freak. But I recently Botoxed my jaw so that I can't clench my teeth as much. Whoa. So wait, you injected fat like no, it's into not, your no, ma- 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 no, mandible it's space? Fat. It's just what? something that basically makes your muscle weaker so that wow. you like don't aren't such a f- – I'm like, I'm like Hulk smash. Like I've clenched my teeth like the yeah. fucking Hulk. Oh no! I I sometimes like wake up with blood. Oh my god! Guard because I'm clenching I can tell my teeth just by so looking at your face. That's what I've <laughs> <laughs> like really overdeveloped I jaw muscles, like a pit do. bull. Or? I do. Let me look at. Hold on. Let me look at. Um, I'll just Google you right now. No, but it does. That's what happens. You know, I have a jaw muscle. That no, you don't. Yeah, no, you have a strong jaw. But when you're a girl, that is like a kind of a masculine thing. Whatever. But yeah, yeah it also just you wake up with a headache. So I did that. That helped. That I think that's helping actually. Um, yeah. And then I wake up. I pro- I might pee. Um, I I chug water. I'll chug a bunch. I try to chug a bunch of water, but I don't always. And then I drink coffee with heavy cream mm-hmm. in it. Um, what? T- how do you make your coffee? We have a thing called a Jura, like J U R A, some company, and it's just like basically you put the beans in, it grinds them, and it's just a coffee maker, I guess. But it's like a fancy coffee okay, maker, so and it does a good job. J U R J U R A, yeah. Um, and but I put I put hot water in the glass. I fill the fill the the mug up about halfway with hot water, and then I put shots of coffee. I guess it's espresso. I don't know. Are coffee yeah. beans and espresso yeah. beans the same thing? Uh, they are often roasted slightly differently. Um, but my understanding is you're just using kind of more beans for the volume in the case of espresso, okay. but the, but the darker the roast is my understanding is the lower the caffeine is interestingly Interesting. enough, but, uh, but yeah, you're, you're basically making an Americano. Yeah. Is, we, make is an Americano like. and we use, um, David Lynch coffee. If you haven't tried it, it's pretty good. David Lynch. Like, the yes, filmmaker? he has his own coffee. <laughs> Are you yeah, serious? serious. So he, he not he not only has Transcendental Meditation Foundation in schools for at risk at risk youth. He also has his own. Wow, man, I'm really lisping like <laughs> hell right now. But he also has his own coffee. Totally. Look up David Lynch coffee. I just did. It's pretty good. Um, That's hilarious. I don't know. My husband <laughs> found it, but 
Um, and then, so I have. Okay, so you, so you have your coffee with with why heavy cream? I don't know. Someone. Told, I'm a big fan of heavy cream. Someone told me it's like better I'm for your stomach, and now the whole thing is that like fat's good for you, so I care even less. But I already knew that, so. Yep. Um, and then I'll have um one of maybe three things. I have rolled oats with um a little bit of honey and a little bit of milk and a little bit of salt with raisins usually. Um, just made on the stovetop, um, and then, or I will have, um, a pancake that I make out of rolled oats. So I crack four egg whites into a bowl and then I put two cups of dry rolled oats in and then I stir it around and the eggs kind of help the oats congeal. And then, yeah, yeah, and then I shape it into a pancake in a pan and then I cook, I like heat it up a little bit and then I put it on a plate and I put applesauce on it and a little bit of maple syrup and i eat it and it's really good um that sounds amazing it's good. i mean but it's two ingredients which is crazy um and it's yeah. it, it looks it doesn't look as good as it tastes it's pretty decent it's um <laughs> and, i bet that would be really good with like some nut so, yeah some. or i eat drink like a white smoothie which is like a has apple and greek yogurt and some cinnamon, um, and it's just like pretty simple. But so some of that stuff, some of those recipes came from this guy that I trained with named Harley Pasternak. Have you heard of him? I have heard that name. Yeah, isn't so he trains with UFC fighters? Probably. Right? Or am I making probably? That up? He's like a celebrity trainer type, and he has people that work for him. And I most. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking about Mike Dolce I think, okay. instead of Harley yeah. Pasternak. Yeah, Pastor, but Pasternak. I've yeah, he has some books and stuff. Um, he's he's awesome, and I've just gotten some cool recipes from him. So those are his recipes. Um, and then I'll—I don't know. I guess I shower, you know, and then I'll, I'll go work out, you know. Depending, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, and then start my day. Sometimes I'll roll out of bed and have a phone call. And, you know, I, you know, it's like, we have a call, we're on a kind of like a call now. And it's like, I haven't showered. I don't know. I'm at home. Sometimes I'll have calls for a while before I go in the office. Sometimes I won't go in the office because I'm working on something that I need to focus on. And that's hard to do in the office. And I don't know, every, every day is different, but it, they all start pretty much the same. When you work out, what, if you could only choose a couple of exercises for the rest of your life, what would they be? And the reason I'm asking is I saw this photograph on your Instagram account, um, which, uh, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, and <laughs> it was, it was you on a, I want to say an elliptical and it said preparing the centaur for her wedding day <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And because you have uh, very well uh, very well developed glutes. Okay. Uh, put it that it's way. A creepy very, conversation. Very... I think I have to go. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, this is purely anatomical. Speaking uh-huh. as a as an exercise physiologist, and um, uh, so those don't look like they came from ellipticals, <laughs> or is that just a god given? Um, that's I like. Uh, I can't because when I think now you're Greek. I'm Greek, right? Italian, and Portuguese. Oh, uh, all right. That explains. Okay. So I, th- I, I, d- I knew only about the Greek part and I'm like, not usually like if it was like, yes, I'm 80% Brazilian. I'd be like, okay, that makes no. Sense. And people sense. actually like get surgery and make their butts. <laughs> it's like, oh, I yeah. can't, if I wear a dress, like the top fits, but then the bot, I can't get the bottom over my hips or, and then, or if like if the hips fit and like the top is too big and I'm not going to like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't want big boobs. And then like, 
if I wear pants, it's just weird. It's not, it's, it's like, it's, it, it's weird that like our culture is like into butts. Cause I think they're kind of gross, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you just have to watch like discovery channel for 15 minutes and see like presentation posture and all that stuff. And mammals have that fixation, hmm. I think. But, uh, the, not my intention to go there, but the exercises. So if, if you're oh. exercising before you get started with the day and you could only pick a couple of exercises. So. I mean, you basically <laughs> asked me why I have a big butt. Like that's what, that's just, happened. no, 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 no it's no. fine. I'm not, it's just funny. Um, no, no, it's not, it's not just, what do you the, do? Uh, for, what do you do? Well, if, if you had to only choose a couple of types yeah. of exercise, not, not just for the butt, well, what would you, about having would you a big butt is that like, it can go to hell really fast. So, um, you have to, you kind of have to exercise. Um, uh, I do deadlifts for my butt or just Good in general. You. I do yeah, deadlifts. Dead, deadlifts are um, I do a lot of lunges. I do some like walking lunges and like some, I don't know. We do squats sometimes. Um, I'll, um, like resistance training. Um, what else? When you do deadlifts, are you doing sumo stance with your legs wide or your legs closer together kind of like shoulder width? um they're a little beyond shoulder width and like slightly bent <laughs> i yep, guess right um and and if you had to choose three types of exercise just for the, rest of the combination of like enjoyment and benefits for you overall what would you choose um probably like squat jumps mm-hmm. um box jumps and, um, let's see, like shoulder presses. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That seems like you could get a lot, like a lot of different things happen with those three exercises. Right. And then you have the mountain, you have the trail running at a slight and decline. Yeah, if I'm Sur. a big sir. Yeah. For, for the flying effect. Uh, well, I only want to ask a couple more questions and then I will, uh, let you get back to your day, but this is this has been very fun. <laughs> what did what advice would you give your thirty year old self? Um, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> uh, I need tell me more. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think when you're you're like, yeah, I'm like onto something. My business is growing, and oh, this is so cool. I can't wait for a time when you know I can just like you know, let go, or a time where I can. Oh man, this is just going to be running itself someday, or I'm gonna. I don't know, like, or just you, you think, um, you know, as you get older, I mean, yeah, you know more, you can handle things better, but it's the same. It's the same. You know, it's just, it's, it's just different stuff, I guess. And the challenges are bigger with bigger things. Um, and you know, I think, I think it's easier to to sell yourself or for maybe other people to sell you that it's just like one vacation after the next. And Hey, I have a great life. I really appreciate everything that I have and I've taken some great vacations, but just that, like, the, the, the hustle never ends, you know. But that was just a year ago. It was 30 a year ago. So, hmm. Mm-hmm. It would be like, hi. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I keep forgetting that you're, you're, you're such a youngin. Yeah. Uh, what, um, what are you most looking forward to in the next 12 months? Um, so far. In the next 12 months, I'm looking forward to going to Tokyo, um, yeah, we're going to Tokyo, my husband and I, for like a week. And I haven't been since I was in high school. And it's just, I know it's a cool place. I, I, I have some memory of it, but things are so different when you're an adult. And I'm excited to 
to check it out and eat food. Now I eat sushi. I didn't eat sushi when I was in high school. Weird. Oh yeah. Now that opens up all sorts of doors. Mm-hmm. The, uh, well, if you ever want to chat about that, oh yeah, just f- feel free to I ping me. That. Um, give me, give me a call. I've spent a lot of time there and, um, actually have a two part article on Tokyo on the blog that goes through some of the, the, the smaller spots that I love, but that is exciting. Cool. Yeah. Week in Tokyo is something I think everyone should do. It's one of those completely alien places for English speakers where you can get completely lost, completely confused, even in the middle of the night and not really be in any danger whatsoever, which is Yeah, great. you can like leave your purse, uh, you know, on like, I, you can like give it to a bum and it's probably safe for an hour, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Purse check. And uh, it's a, just a fascinating, fascinating country. It, it forces you to question a lot of your own sort of social norms and behaviors, which I think is, is really helpful. So that is uh, that is exciting. I'm super stoked for you. I'm going to be headed to uh, Korea for the first time. I've only been in the airport. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm hopefully to, hoping to head to Seoul in, within the next month That's or two. Exciting. But uh, what uh, do you have any ask or request for my audience? And um, we'll, we'll, the, the question after this is going to be where they can find you online and learn more about you mm-hmm. and so on. But just in general, any like recommendation or request of my audience, any action they should take or things they should think about? <sighs> That's for their own good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, I don't know. Compliment someone today. <laughs> I don't know. Say something nice to someone. Yeah, be nice. Be nice. Uh, awesome. Well, I uh, would love people to check out what you're up to. Um, you've done such. You've, you've done so much for such a youngin. Uh, Thanks, <laughs> Tim. Yeah, with a big a butt. Lot. Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that that of course is a uh, a sort of high praise in my uh, in my world. But the the <laughs> of course no, you have you have to. But where can people learn more about you? Uh, find out what you're up cool. to. Um, well, nastygal.com. That's like, you know, my reason for existing. And then uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. It's Sophia underscore Amoruso. And I'm launching a podcast. Uh, I don't know. Launching a podcast next month called Girl Boss Radio. And you can read my book. It's called Girl Boss. Cool. Yeah. And uh, people will be listening to this for quite a while so look for girl boss radio guys and uh the book has uh 835 reviews on amazon four and a half stars more than i want to say i'm looking right here more than 70 percent are five stars so the book has had a fantastic reception and uh, i appreciate you taking the time thanks for having me really fun so of course cool 